Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lisenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lisenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Today, we are going to talk about boundaries. And in preparation for this episode, I felt inspired to look up its official definition. Let's hear it. A boundary, according to Merriam-Webster, is something that indicates or fixes a limit or extent. It also says a boundary is a point or limit that indicates when two things become different. So these definitions speak to physical boundaries, which makes me think of basic mundane things like property lines, sidewalks, or how it feels to cross state lines or leave the city for a walk in the woods. Interesting. It's also pointing very directly to separation, like a boundary denoting two distinct entities. Yeah, and for the most part, unless you have a fence around your yard or you visit that place in the U.S. where you can stand in four states at once, Mm. these boundaries are all invisible, but we still acknowledge them and their purpose. But that concept of physical boundaries bleeds into the magical world. When I think about magical boundaries, I see fairy rings, stone circles, grid work systems, the veil, and women gathering in a circle to cast spells beneath the moon. Totally. And I also think of jumping the broom, threshold magic, herbal allies, and stories of psychic protection. And we can go even deeper and consider our personal and energetic boundaries, which are sort of our unofficial rules about what should or should not be done. Or as Merriam-Webster says, limits that define acceptable behavior. So these types of boundaries are really interesting to talk about because they are all subjective. What's acceptable to me may be offensive to you. What's normal to you might be foreign to me. And as a recovering people pleaser, I relate to this predicament a lot. Louder for the people in the back. (laughs) But when I think about our ancestors and why people from the old world set physical, magical, and energetic boundaries, it all comes down to protection. Boundaries are a way to protect something you believe to be of great importance, whether it be your home, your craft, or your body. Yes. And I also think about strengthening. Like at my apprenticeship last week, we were talking about protection as a first step of boundaries, almost like a hierarchy of needs. So if protection is what is needed in the moment, by all means protect. But protection has a separation to it, just like we're talking about it. So as a next step of boundaries, maybe strengthening, grounding, or creating spaciousness, which I thought was a really interesting distinction from how I have created or considered boundaries in the past. I can't wait to dive in. It's not hard to see that we humans love boundaries. We love putting limits and labels on things. 
We want to know what's mine and what's yours, what the rules are, so we can decide if we want to abide by them or break them. We create invisible walls to section off this and that until nearly everything is claimed and maintained, and the only way to move from one place or state of being to another is through a door that we've also created, a threshold. In many ways, thresholds aren't much different than boundaries, although I see thresholds more as a doorway to cross a boundary. So not really one and the same, but there's definitely some overlap. I have this book that Tamed Wild gifted me a while back called Scottish Witchcraft, and I think it's back in stock on their site if anyone is interested. But it suggests that boundaries are liminal spaces because a boundary is not in one place or the other. It's the invisible line that separates the two. And if we know anything about liminal spaces and magic, we know that they're great places to speak with spirit. The book goes on to say that when Scottish Highlanders set up a homestead, they use somaks to establish their boundaries. Somaks are fire torches, and Highlanders would carry them sunwise, which means from east to west, around their land, all the while chanting ancient songs to dispel evil spirits and invite the good people, um, which was another expression for the fey folk, to watch over them. After the boundary was established, they would toss all their somaks together to create a large protective bonfire. It says that homesteaders might also use large stones or blood from animal sacrifices to mark a physical and energetic boundary they hoped would act as a shield to ward off enemies. In addition, they would spend long periods riding around their land to watch for activity, either of the human or spirit variety. This reminds me of the beautiful old stone walls in the Catskills denoting property lines for pastures and farms. Because the land has changed over the years, they're now in people's backyards, in pine forests, and sloping along outside of cabins, but there's something pretty magical about them. And the walls wouldn't keep anything in or out, they're pretty low, but it's an interesting symbol in that way. I bet they're stunning, and I love that they kept them instead of tearing them down. So I wanted to know if there were any gods or goddesses that our ancestors would call on to help establish and enforce these boundaries, whether they be physical or magical. So I did some research. The first name I found was Cardea, who is a goddess known throughout the Greek and Roman pantheons. She is called the Goddess of the Hinge, and I love her story. Goddess of the Hinge is a beautiful title. I know. I was instantly drawn to it. Cardea is most often mentioned alongside her lover, Janus. Janus is the god of endings and beginnings, and legend says that he watches over doorways. Janus has two faces, like a door has two sides, so he can see into the past and also the future. When he first saw Cardea, it was love at first sight, and to prove it, he gave her his hinge. This hinge allows Cardea to also rule over doorways, and she uses this power for good, to help families, but especially children. People will often call on Cardea to protect their home, in the physical sense, from intruders or damage, but also if they feel like they have an unwelcome presence and want to establish firmer boundaries or just close the door completely on the spirit world. It's said that she exercises her power using white thorn and other magical plants. More on thorns in a minute. So while I was researching Cardea, I discovered that when she's not being invoked alongside Janus, it's usually next to either the goddess 
forculus, meaning door, or the god lamentinus, meaning threshold. So basically, there's a holy trinity that we can call on for issues related to boundaries, but Cardea is really the one that we know the most about. Next on my search, I found Hermes and his Roman counterpart, Mercury. And truthfully, I don't think of Hermes as a god of boundaries, more like the god of no boundaries. But we can't argue that he travels often, he has the ability to come and go as he pleases, as quickly as he wants. So okay, I see some connect there. And then I was reading something on Mythopedia that I really liked. It mentioned how Mercury challenged not only physical, but moral boundaries because he was often rude. I thought this was really interesting because it's true. I feel like most stories I read that have Mercury or Hermes, he's usually portrayed as really confident, borderline cocky, and yet so many writers, myself included, honor him in their creative practice. And you can even just hear that in the word mercurial, right? Like something difficult to grasp or understand or pin down or transcends the boundaries of what we consider matter to be. And I think that's the perfect description for him. Mm -hmm. And as my research continued, I discovered that the Romans must have really loved setting boundaries because there are so many deities that specialize in boundary-related issues. Like Terminus, he celebrated on February 23rd with a festival called Terminalia. Terminus is the god of boundary markers. It said that wherever two lands meet, whoever was in charge would dig a deep hole and people would place wine, honey, all sorts of offerings into it. Then a large stone would be driven on top, which was the actual boundary stone. The stone was usually anointed in the blood of a sacrificial animal, and then a feast would ensue in honor of Terminus. In return, he took on the role of protector and watcher of boundaries. There is also Portunus, whose annual festival, Portunalia, takes place on August 17th. Portunus is the god of keys, ports, and gates. Farmers in ancient Rome would invoke Portunus to watch over the boundaries of their barns, silos, or wherever they stored their grain. Portunus was also believed to be the one that controlled the boundary between land and water, specifically at Portus Tiberinus, near his temple. Tiberinus is known as the imperial port of Rome and at one time was the principal maritime harbor. Lastly, I found Nematoma, a Germanic goddess that is known as the guardian of circles, labyrinths, sacred groves, and sanctuary. She is said to watch over our sanctuaries and sacred spaces while we're away to make sure that our boundaries are respected, even in our absence. Nematoma is a bit of an obscure goddess, but people have some interesting theories about her. I discovered that there is a place in Appleton, England, where they have a yearly festival in June called Bombing Day, or Bombing the Thorn. And while it's not specifically dedicated to Nematoma, there is reason to believe that she might have been more involved at one time. The hawthorn is her sacred tree, and during this festival, the community gathers and decorates a hawthorn tree at a place they believe was of great importance to their pagan ancestors. The reason or history behind Bombing Day is a bit obscure as well. Some say that with everyone dressing up and dancing around this tree, 
that it's a bit of an ancient tree ceremony, whereas others say that this gathering is a yearly ritual to resurrect the goddess. But we don't have to go to England to meet Nematoma, because legend says that she likes to hang out at places of power. So anywhere we cast a circle, our altar, and of course liminal spaces are fair game. Hawthorns are an amazing tree to talk about boundaries as well. Definitely. Kay, are there any deities that come to mind for you when you think of boundaries? Mm-hmm. Um, Hecate is a deity that's really sacred to me, and we did a whole episode on her in season one. That's episode five. So if you'd like to hear more about her, definitely head there after here. But Hecate presides over the crossroads. She looks each way through the liminal space toward the other world or the underworld and keeps watch with her lantern and her hellhounds which we just spoke more about in our familiar episode before. I feel like she has taught me personally that boundaries are a form of honor, like I must honor myself and my internal underworld and landscape enough to know what I will accept and what I won't accept. And a lot of the work for me has been done through green witchery or magical and sometimes poisonous plants. Hecate has her own poisonous plants garden, which she's known for, and I think that poisonous plants are such good protection and boundary medicine. Legend has it that she carries the keys to the three realms of the world, most important to heaven or Olympus. It is said that her keys were the magical plants that were sacred to her, the psychoactive plants, especially those in the nightshade family, And so there, in the nightshades, are the keys of between the worlds, crossing thresholds, boundaries, the spaces between this and that. And there is so much to be learned from a poisonous plant's garden. However, it must be done with great respect, of course. Do tell. So you mentioned thorns earlier, which are really potent in folk magic and medicine. And I was taught that depending on the medicine you're making, it can be good to include a thorn in with the herbs as a nod to protection and protective medicine. So for example, if I'm tincturing hawthorn berries, I may want to include a few, maybe three, thorns from the hawthorn. I couldn't find a lot of writing about this actually, but it is something that's been passed down to me. And I know that thorns are also included in protective charms that you can wear on the neck or carry in the pocket, spell jars depending on your intention or on your altar. And I think of this in similar magic to nails, which are another wonderful folk magic tool. I acquired an Ozark folk magic book because my ancestors were farmers at the foot of the Ozarks, and I wondered what sort of practices may have been used by them or around them at the time. The book talks a lot about nails as boundary magic, so I'll just read to you from the book here. Nails have traditionally been a part of the Ozark healer's toolkit, because they are easy to find and usually plentiful around the house. In certain rituals, a sickness itself can be taken off a client by magically nailing it to a tree. And in this way, the sickness is left behind when the client leaves. Trees, often used for this ritual, uh, include those associated with strength or health, like oaks. New nails were once included in many rituals and amulets for protection against evil, and other influences, and in one common rite, three new nails are hammered into the frame of a front and back door of a house in the shape of a triangle, point facing up. This was believed to protect the home from evil by magically nailing the intruder to the spot before they could enter. 
It was also once believed that if someone with evil intentions entered the home, the nails would pop out of the doorframe, although sometimes not all the way. Coffin and gallows nails were traditionally seen as having magical powers because of their proximity to death. Coffin nails specifically were once commonly carried by hill folk as an amulet to ward off certain diseases or into wax dolls filled with a person's hair or fingernail clipping. Such magical nailing can also be done using thorns from certain trees like the honey locust. Um, The honey locust isn't a plant that I've worked with for thorns. Maybe it's more prominent in Arkansas. Listeners, let us know. But some plants I think about when I think about boundaries and prickliness are nettles, roses, hawthorns, blackberries. And there are many folktales about nettles, nettle being so nutritious and wonderful, but having such a sting is an important nod to generosity, but also awareness. You don't pick nettles barehanded and not pay attention. I drink a daily nettle infusion that I make, and it's very strengthening. So like I was speaking about earlier, strengthening and fortifying as a way of creating boundaries. And roses, to me, are an even different kind of boundary. Rose has always helped me soften, to crack open, to enjoy sensuality and bloom. And the thorned aspect of the rose feels like that more of a spaciousness. When you're fully embodied the like roses and you create spaciousness and bloom in your own way— what can happen to your boundaries and body? And maybe there's like a new unfolding there. Hawthorne, um, so related to the heart, but in a different way than rose, perhaps. Um, Hawthorne is a symbolically sacred tree to the Druids and is often depicted in being with groves, with oak and ash um, as related to the fae. And I know that we've spoken about these trees in our Beltane episode, as well as uh, Tales of Ash episode, But legend says that hawthorn branches in the home can protect against psychic or astral attack, and that planting the trees nearby can also be a form of protection. Thorns also remind me of hedges, which I just know there's so much about in legends with hedgerows and hedge witchery. But I'm curious, Kristen, do you work with boundaries or protection work in any of your own practice? Yeah, and I know that you know, Kate, that Establishing boundaries is something I've been working on, but for now, I'm practicing saying no, which I think you might have said before is a spell in its own right, because if we can't verbalize our desires, how can we expect any of these seeds to take root? And I'm also a big fan of placing obsidian around my house, specifically by doorways. What about you? Yeah, I mean, exactly. No is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely, it's been the people-pleasing for me. And something my therapist said is that it's great to give, but for it to truly be a gift, you can't look for reciprocal action. So, for example, I can't look for gratitude or return if I'm extending my boundaries or giving from that place. So getting really clear on my own needs and honoring my own time, strength, and spaciousness has been a real magical and transformative practice in my relationship to boundaries as well as my time and peace of mind. Plus, I just got this black tourmaline gem essence that works with Saturn, Earth, Morgan Le Fay, patchouli, anise, agrimony, blackberry, the strength card in the tarot, and the root chakra. 
So more on that maybe later. But listeners, I think that that's all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for joining us for this conversation around boundaries and protection magic. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode for a very special guest. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So won't it be or something better? Until